Welcome to another iGrow season at APC. We're so glad you've tuned in. Our church is blessed with excellent teachers of the Word of God, and our hope is that you find today's teaching enlightening, motivational, and encouraging. To learn more about our church, visit theapc.org or find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's lesson. about the difference between wisdom and intelligence. We noted that intelligence is the addition or the acquisition, the gaining of, of knowledge, of information. But wisdom is more, is better than intelligence because wisdom is the application of that knowledge. It's the, it's the putting to work that knowledge in our life. Knowing what to do with what we know. And so we get that kind of wisdom when we're looking, when we're searching for the wisdom to, to properly order the steps of our life and to govern our lives. The only place we can get that wisdom is from God. The only place we can get that wisdom is from God. We can't get it from books, from universities, from YouTube. We can't get it from any other place but from the one who created wisdom. God gave us a fountain of the treasures of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. It's practical, it's powerful, it's potent, and it drips with heavenly supernatural wisdom. Not earthly wisdom, but heavenly wisdom. God is the source of that kind of wisdom. And if we need wisdom, he said, just ask them, and I'll give it to you liberal. <clears throat> so, if we need wisdom, we can ask it of him. But we also need to use the, the, the tools that he gave us. We need to get in the word of God. We need to, to study the word of God. We need to get in the presence of the one who created wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, we said that this was one of the key verses in Proverbs and probably the most familiar, the fear or maybe the awe and the reverence of God is the beginning. It's the starting place for wisdom and knowledge of the holy is understanding. The more we grow in our relationship with God, and the more we stand in awe and reverence of him, the greater we grow in that reverence of God, that's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of, of truly having a relationship with God is the beginning of wisdom in our life. After all, the biblical definition of wisdom was obedience to God. And the more, the closer I get to him, the more I stand in awe of him, obedience is no longer an issue. Obedience is something that naturally flows out of that love relationship, out of that constant communion with him. I just want to please him. So I just follow him. He doesn't have to correct me. He just has to lead me, the psalmist said, with his eye. I don't know if you have children that you look at him and you're like, <laughs> my dad, he's been in the pulpit and he'll be like, I knew I was getting something when I got home. I already knew. Because he was correcting me with his eyes. We will stand in awe in reverence of God. He can correct us. He can lead our life with just a glance, with just a nudge. It's not, it, we don't have to go through those pains of correction. And that's the beginning of wisdom. That's the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1, 2, and 3 told us that the difference between perceiving wisdom 
wisdom and receiving wisdom of God. We perceive with our head or with our brain or with our intellect. We recognize, hey, that's, that's good word. That'll preach, right? We recognize that, but do we receive it when we apply it to our life, when we ingest it? Like the uh, prophet Isaiah, he ate the scroll. When we take it and it becomes a part of us and it starts living out, it starts living out in our lives, in our conversations, in our choices. That's when we truly receive wisdom. Last week we began talking about the three people in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 22. He said, how long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. We identified that the simple are... Simply those who lack experience. And that we've all been simple. And we all will be simple at some point. Because we lacked experience in certain areas of our life. The simple don't even know that they need help. They don't certainly admit that they need help. Because <coughs> they still think that they can figure it out. How many times have I sat there in that simple seat trying to figure it out, figure it out, figure it out? I can, I can figure this out. I can work my way through this. And God's saying, really? Come on, just ask me for some wisdom, and I'll help you do that. We stated that the object of the simple seat was to get out of that seat as quickly as possible by learning the lesson, applying it to our life, and moving on, moving forward. And that having an obedient heart toward God is the quickest way out of a simple life. An obedient heart toward God. That's just standing in awe and reverence, right? Just standing in awe of reverence of him and saying, God, I just want to please you. And that's how we get out of that simple life. When we talked about um, the difference then, about the difference between the simple life or the simple chair and, this, and the fool, the fool does know the difference between right and wrong. The fool's been around for a while. They just don't care. They just don't care. Just ain't feeling it today. Just can't do it. I just... It's not going to happen to me. That's the fool. The fool does not take God, his word, his precepts, his principles seriously. But the fool doesn't just affect himself. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20 says that the companions of fools will be destroyed. They'll take down people around them because they just don't care. They have that careless, complacent attitude. A fool takes others down around them. And we also stated, this is a, a pertinent point that I thought was, um, I wanted to drive home, that we don't have to be a fool in every area of our life to be a fool in some of the areas in our life. I find that in my life, I'm like, oh, check up on that, check up on that. Are you, are you acting the fool in this area of your life because you know to do good and you're not doing it? Are you acting the fool? The fool doesn't care what's right just want to do what they want to do right then and there. So anytime we know what we ought to do and we don't do it, we're acting the fool. And that brings us to the third chair, the scorner. The scorner, when we read through Proverbs, um, you'll read of the scorner, the scoffer, the mocker. Those are all synonymous. That's what this chair is. The scorner, the scoffer, and the mocker are all the same person. And they're like the fool, very much like the fool. They've been around for a while. They know the difference between right and wrong. They don't care. But they take it 
a step farther. And the scoffer is critical of those, they, they scorn, the scorner is critical of those that are trying to live right, those that are trying to do right. It's not enough that they backslid like the fool. They're twisted just a little bit farther to criticize and try to pull somebody else down, drag them down, tear them down. He said that the fool will drag you down, but the scoffer, the scorner, they'll tear you down. And that's why the Bible says, don't sit and see this. Don't sit and see this formful. God doesn't look very pleasantly. In fact, he looks very, very tough on the scorner. Because they're tearing others down. That brother Woodward and I mentioned previously that I got much of my notes, most of my notes from his lesson in Proverbs. And he said, the simple is just clueless. The fool is careless. But the scorner is critical. If we find ourselves with a critical eye towards especially the people of God, we need to check ourselves. You do not want to sit in the seat of the scorner. Don't scorn. Don't be critical of our brothers and sisters because God does not look kindly upon that. If you try to correct a fool, they'll just ignore you. A fool will just be like, yeah, yeah. Okay, mm -hmm, I hear you. A fool will just ignore you, but if you try to correct or help a scorner, a scornful person, they will hate you. They will hate you. They'll try to, if you try to reach out and help them in the middle of their circumstance and say, look, there's a better way. You're, I, I've been down this road before. This is not going to lead any good. Who do you think you are? How, do you, how dare you? They will hate you. They will turn on you with venom. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 8 says, Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man, and he will love thee. Look at the difference between that. Look at the difference between the scorner hating you. It's the same reproof. It's the same rebuke that the wise man got. And he says, oh, thank you. Thank you for saving me from my destruction that I was going down. Thank you, pastor, for correcting me in that. Thank you, God, for leading somebody into my life to, to redirect my course. Reprove that scoffer, that scorner. They're instantly going to cop an attitude with you. They're going to puff up, get all angry, talk bad about you to whoever will listen. I often say to my daughter, hate me because I tell you the truth. <laughs> Oh, a scorner will. A scorner will hate you because you told them the truth. They hate the truth. Proverbs teaches us repeatedly that the humble person receives correction. They love correction. The wise person is humble. They will say, yes, give me that correction because I don't want to make all the mistakes. Because I don't have time and I don't want to carry all that with me. The humble will receive correction. Because they're wise enough to know that I don't know everything. I can't know everything. I need correction from time to time. And I want it to come from the word of God. And I want it to come from the man of God. And I want it to come from the godly authorities that have been set up in my life. But an arrogant person rejects correction. 
An arrogant person rejects the person who tries to help them with correction. Proverbs 12 and 1 says, Whoso loveth instruction loveth knowledge, but he that hateth reproof is brutish. That he, the Hebrew word for instruction and reproof in that verse is the same word, and it means correction. So it could be read like this. Whoso loves correction loves knowledge, but he that hateth correction is brutish. Let me ask you this. I don't want you to say anything. Uh, just think about this question. This is rhetorical. This is for you to think about you to chew on. Is there someone in your life that you will allow to correct you at any time about anything and you will accept it? You trust their judgment. You trust their love for you. You trust their relationship with God. And they can speak into your life at any given moment, at any time, about any topic, and you say, yes. Okay. <clears throat> that stung but okay, you're right. I'll submit myself to that. They can say no to you, and you receive it and accept it. We need that in our life. We have to have that. To be saved, we have to have that in our lives. It's called submission to God. It's called submission to godly, ordained authority because they watch for our souls. We are not a kingdom unto ourselves. We are not, we cannot rule and govern our lives alone. We need that godly authority. And that's why God has placed us in the body of Christ. That's why God has given us a pastor. That's why God has given us leadership. That's why God has ordained and orchestrated his chain of command. And when we resist correction repeatedly, that source of wisdom God ordained to be imparted to us, gets shut out of our life. If I consistently say, mm, yeah, I'm not going to hear that. I'm not going to receive that. I'm not going to take that. Soon that voice will be phased out of my life. Because God's not going to waste his time. <laughs> he's not going to, if I'm not going to hear it, he's not going to throw his, his treasure, what is, what is it, pearl before swine. He's, he's giving us a treasure of wisdom. When, when we have correction brought to our life, that's a treasure of wisdom. We need to receive it as a treasure of wisdom. As painful as correction might be, correction is never as painful as the consequences. They see down the road, they're watching for our soul. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 9 says, The thought of foolishness is sin, and the scorner is an abomination to men. I'm going to say if it's an abomination to man, it's certainly an abomination to God. An abomination is something God hates. God hates the spirit and the attitude of a scorner. But the scorners, they sit in that little chair right there, and they make themselves a self-appointed judge and critic of anybody and everybody, and they try to control other people with their criticisms. Be careful, because a scorner will try to control you by mocking you. 
by when you're trying to step out in faith and do something. When you're trying to do something for God and you're trying to stretch yourself, the mocker will be there. The mocker will say, the scorner will be there to tear down because they try to control others with criticism. So if you have somebody in your, in your life that's like that, here's the instruction from Proverbs in chapter 22, 10. It says, cast out the scorner. And then guess what happens? Contention shall go out. Yea, strife and reproach shall cease. Now who wouldn't want that kind of peace in their life? I want the peace of ceasing of strife and ceasing of reproach. Now we don't physically cast them out. But we respectfully and lovingly say, you know, I don't feel comfortable about talking about that. I don't feel like that's right. I'm sorry, could we not discuss that? That makes me very uncomfortable. And we change the subject and we shut them down. And we get ourselves out of that conversation. And that will cast out a scornful person. That will cast them out. If they don't shut up, then they'll fold up and leave. Because you're not hearing their scorn. You're not adding to their scorning. We're to be kind and polite, but we don't have to draw that kind of a person with a, a nasty, critical, negative spirit into our inner circle of friends. We have to be cautious and aware of them. Be kind, be polite, be godly, but be aware that they'll tear you down. You won't, they have a crab mentality. My dad used to say, you got a crab mentality. If you've ever been hunting or fishing for crab, you can throw them in a bucket. You don't have to put a lid on that bucket. Do you know why? Just as one gets to the top, another one will reach up and grab him and pull him down. You don't even have to put a lid on the bucket. They'll keep each other in because they have a crab. My dad says, a, scorned person, a scornful person has a crab mentality. They're just going to pull everyone around them down. Now, remember I said at the beginning, we've all sat in one of these chairs at least, and maybe all of them, at some point or other. So thank God that all three of these chairs have hope. That if you find yourself and, and you say, whew, I've been in that simple chair. For sure we've all been in that simple chair. We were born in that simple chair because we didn't have experience. The fool, the scorner, we've been careless, or we've been critical. We can still be saved. Thank you, Jesus. But we can't do it without repentance. We have to turn around. When I say repentance, I don't just mean crying and saying I'm sorry because I look bad. But it's, it's making up my mind to change. I am going to do better. I am going to, by the help of God, I am going to be different. I am going to be better. So if we identify in any of these chairs, we don't have to do that any longer. We just repent and and, and by repenting, change our attitude. I'm not going to sit there anymore. But see, the problem with sitting in these chairs is that the longer we sit in a chair, in one of these three chairs, the more comfortable it gets. The harder it gets to get out of it. The longer I sit in that chair, the more my tendency is to just stay. Because isn't that a law of motion? You know, something that stopped. It takes more to get it moving than if I keep going. Okay, I'm going to get this chair and I'm going to get out of it as quickly as possible. I know I don't have any experience here, but I'm going to get out of it as quickly as possible. 
So, the wise are going to have to, or the foolish person is going to have to start caring a little bit more. A whole lot more, actually. It can be very difficult to get out of one of these chairs, but we can do it by the help of God. And we can't do it on our own, because the flesh may will to do good. We don't have the strength to do it. So we have to get in the presence of God again, get in the word of God, and move from one of these three chairs to this fourth chair, the wise chair. It can be very difficult to be done, but it can be done in any of these chairs by the help of God. The fourth chair is where God wants us to be. This is where God wants us to live. Because why? Because that's where we stand in awe of him. That's where we stand in constant communion with him. That's when we're in constant relationship with him. God wants us to be in this chair, the wise chair. And so the simple person can make up their mind, I'm, I'm not content being simple anymore. I am not going to be blissfully ignorant. I am not going to be led by the flattery of people. I am not going to just sit here any longer. I'm not going to make mistakes because I'm just too lazy to get up out of this chair and learn. But I'm going to get a hold, get my head in the word of God. I'm going to get a hold of people who are wise, and I'm going to seek their seek their relationships and their friendships. I'm going to listen to what God has to say from the Word of God, from the man of God, from the servants of God. I'm going to get up out of this simple chair, and I'm going to go to the chair that God has reserved for me. Because this is the chair that God has reserved for all of us. This is the chair that he reserves for us. This is the chair that we choose. So we can choose to get out. If we've chosen it, we can choose to get out of it. The fool can say, I'm done being careless. I'm going to, I'm done seeking my own way. I'm tired. Look where my way has got me. The fool can come to their senses like the prodigal son and say, okay, I've hit rock bottom. This is where it's got me. I've got it. There's got to be a better plan. God, I'm going to seek your face. I'm going to seek your kingdom. I'm going to ask for godly wisdom. I'm going to go to the seat of wisdom where you, where you have prepared for me. And as James said, I'm going to ask of God for wisdom. And he'll give it to us. He won't, he won't chide us. He won't, he won't think less of us because we don't have it already. He's going to give it to us. Even the scornful, even the scorner, even that critical, nasty, hateful, mocking person who maybe has spent years of their life tearing down the people of God, even the scornful has the opportunity to repent and be done living that miserable, wretched lifestyle and move to what God has prepared for them. And that's why Proverbs, in our Bible, Proverbs exists teach us to ask one simple question as we go through life. And this question can only be answered by you. I can't answer it for you. Nobody can answer it for you. Your mate can't answer it for you. This question applies to every decision in your life that you're ever going to make, no matter how small or large. It's a question that exposes our motive. And if we really want to do what's right, we really want to please God, then we love this question. But if the, if the opposite is true, if we really just want to 
look like we please God and do what we want to do, this question is going to be a prick in us. Here's the question. What is the wise thing to do in this situation? Not what is the smart thing to do. Not what will people think if I do. Not what is expected of me to do. But what is the wise thing to do? When we make decisions, we usually ask, is there anything wrong with it? Is there, is this, is there anything wrong with me doing this? We've got to stop asking that question. We've got to stop asking, is there anything wrong with it? Because like Pastor recently said, I'm not looking for the minimum requirements to make it to skin into heaven. <laughs> if the Bible doesn't say, thou shalt not, that is not me, thou shalt do as it pleases you. <laughs> Proverbs exists to get us to change our question from, what's wrong with it? Is this right or is this wrong? To, is it wise? Is it wise? If we only ask, is it right or wrong, then we're being short-sighted. We're being short-sighted. We're only thinking about right now. Is it right or is it wrong? Is it right or is it wrong for me to go get ice cream on my way home and eat it, all of it, the whole bucket? <laughs> but is it wise? There's nothing wrong with it. Well... I mean, you know, legally, there's nothing wrong with it. Morally, there's nothing wrong with it. But is it wise? See, the fool says, I don't know. <laughs> or no, that's the, that's the simple. The fool says, I don't care. <laughs> the scorner says, how dare you? Even ask me that question. I don't care that I have diabetes, that I'm lactose intolerant, that I'm overweight. It doesn't matter. That is none of your business. How dare you say anything about that? I'm going. Would you like to go with me? <laughs> yeah, I'll buy. I'll buy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the sport. Don't partake. That's right. That's a frivolous example of a very powerful and wise principle. You can apply. Is it wise? Any decision that you have in your life. Oh, I hate that word sometimes. See, again, we don't have to be a fool in every area of our life to be a fool in some areas of our life. So if we'll ask, is it wise, then we're thinking down the road. We're thinking of long-term effects. Now it's not wise for me to get ice cream and eat it all on the way home. I need to lose about a whole bunch of weight. No, it isn't wise. I don't need my blood sugar spiking like that. No, it isn't wise. I'm thinking down the road. Wise thinkies, thinks the wise think down the road. Truthfully, that that is it wise question is an eternal question. It's an eternal question. Proverbs teaches us it's always wise to put God first. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we'll put God first, then we're going to be okay. Because wisdom blesses our lives. Wisdom blesses our lives. More than anything else, the wisdom of God. Wisdom, not human knowledge, not information. Not the smartest person. But wisdom from God will bless your life more than anything else. The wisdom that comes from the word 
It's like nothing else in your life. Proverbs 8 and 11 says, Wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to wisdom. Wisdom is the best thing. Get wisdom. But how do we know if we're growing in wisdom? Again, I love something Pastor said recently. Um, he said something to the effect of, uh, I, don't, I don't look for perfection. I look for growth toward that. So, so how do we know if we're growing in wisdom? Because I'm going to tell you right now, I doubt that I'm ever going to be like Solomon, the wisest person ever. But I could grow. I can grow in wisdom. And so how do we know if we're doing that? Here's a, here's a good measuring stick for wisdom. Proverbs 10 and 8 says, The wise in heart will receive and accept and obey commandments, but the foolish of lips will fall headlong. If we will willingly receive God's commandments, God's correction in our heart, then we know, I'm growing. I'm getting better at that. I'm getting, I'm growing in wisdom. When my heart gets a revelation that he's right, he's sovereign, he's God, he's right in everything he does, it doesn't matter whether I understand it, it doesn't matter whether I agree with it, it doesn't matter whether it makes sense to me or not, he is sovereign God. When my heart gets that revelation, that he is God and I am not, purpose to receive his commandments into my heart, then I'm growing in wisdom. Then I'm growing in wisdom. And I'm applying them to my life. And I'm asking, is it wise? Because that's the question of eternity. Wise people think eternally. Wise people think eternally. Proverbs 11 and 30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he who wins souls is wise. That's eternal. That's eternal value. I'm winning souls, so that's eternal value. Those who sit in this chair of the wise are concerned about eternal matters, not, not distracted with the temporal things of life. They got their eyes on eternity. They got their eyes set for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So, you know what they do? They win souls because they're wise. Remember, only what we do for him, only what we do for Christ will last. That's what the old song says, isn't it? We can't take money or possessions with us to heaven, but we can take souls. We can't take relationships. That's what my dad always said. You can't take anything on this earth except for relationships. So invest in relationships. When you invest in relationships, when you are winning souls, you're investing in relationships. That's what you're doing. You're discipling. You're investing in people. We can invest in relationships and pull people from the fire of hell. So wise people are concerned about souls, not material things. In Matthew, at the very end here, I'm, I'm wrapping up. In Matthew chapter 25, 1 through 4, Jesus tells this parable about the ten virgins. And it's depicting a story about the end time. There's your, there's your cue, babe. End time. Um, and I believe that we are in the end times. I do believe that. Um, so there were five wise virgins and five foolish virgins. And the foolish were casual and callous and unconcerned and just like the little, they were careless. They knew what was right. They knew that the bridegroom was coming very soon. They knew it was the end time. 
They knew they were supposed to have oil in their lamp. They knew the anointing was supposed to be in their life. They knew that they needed to spend time in prayer and devotion and fellowship with them. They knew that they were to be a light to the lost. But the mark of the fool was, is, I don't really care. I mean, I got, I got laundry to do. I got, I got to pick up the kids. I got to, I got to do this. I got, I got this to do. I got, I got all these things I got going on in my life, and I don't have time to have that oil, that anointing in my life. And that's the spirit of this age that we're living in, and we have to be careful that it doesn't get on us. And I implore you, don't be foolish in these last days. Don't be foolish. Ask God for wisdom. Seek eternal value. Determine to sit in the seat that God has reserved for you. Sit in the seat of the wise. Seek his face. Fear, reverence, awe. Stand in awe of God, our great God and Savior. Your turn, baby. All right. Can my wife do an amazing job? All right. I just love listening to my wife teach. I hear it all the time. <laughs> and it's great. It's amazing. If you could see the kind of day she had, how busy she was, taking care of, of my grandson all day long. Uh, and I don't know when she has any time to study, but still pulls off a lesson like that is incredible. So she's just amazing. She can just sit down and get something done. Me, it takes quite a while. <laughs> but I'll get it done anyhow. All right, so we're going to switch gears here. Now, if we were flying an airplane, this would be called a touch-and-go, okay? Uh, we just sort of went in for a touch on the landing, now we're back up in the air. So, uh, my wife's done an amazing job laying the groundwork for the book of Proverbs, and I'm going to do my best to flow in the same vein of teaching. Okay, now some of you know my wife is a crisis nurse at OSF, you get it? Vein, okay? Sorry, I have a little bit dry humor sometimes. We're already used to that, but uh, anyhow, uh, sometimes it comes out. So, anyway, when I found out that we were going to be teaching on the book of Proverbs, uh, to prepare, I decided I'm going to start listening to the book of Proverbs. And I hadn't really ever done that before. I started listening to an audio book of Proverbs, and I listened to it every morning as I got ready for work. I've been doing this for the last couple months, ever since we found out. When pastor said, you're teaching. Um, and I've been doing uh, some study in this information as well. Uh, there is just so much good information. I've listened to it every day for a couple months, and I'm still getting something out of it. There's something new every single time. I'll hear it a different way. I'm to the point now where I'm almost reciting it with them as they're reading it. And I listen to a dramatic version on Bible is and you don't have it, it's awesome. I, I encourage you to check it out. Now, Proverbs has always been a part of my daily Bible reading and devotion time. However, I don't want to just hear the book of Proverbs, and I don't want to just read it. I want to get it in me. I want to inject it in me. Okay, I know, another little uh, dry humor there, but I want to get it into my life and affect me. Because Proverbs, it's such an important book. And if you haven't ever really gotten into it, I didn't when I first got saved because they told me, it's mostly just for teenagers, you know, teenagers and young adults, you should read it. There's a lot in there for everybody. 
at every walk of the, every stage of life. And there is just so much information in there. Uh, one of the things we learn right away, we learn some things that God hates. We just heard about it, an abomination. It's a very strong word. Several things that are an abomination to him. Many, many things. I was impressed how many times I kept hearing, this is an abomination to the Lord. And also, I hear things in there about just scales. And I would hear about how important it is to be truthful and righteous in whatever you do. If you're earning money, there's so much information for me as a man that how, you know, here's Solomon letting his son know, hey, don't do this, but do this. And I appreciate that wisdom. I think it's very important information for us to have about these things that God hates. So let's just take a look at that. Slide, uh, let's see here. So Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, These six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift into running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and here's the abomination verse, he that soweth discord among the brethren. Now, that's just not all the verses about abomination. Let's find some others. So here we got Proverbs 332, 15.8, and 15.26. In the ESV, they say the devious person, the sacrifice of the wicked, and even the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination of God. So whatever that means, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Because I don't want to do anything that is an abomination unto God. Amen? Amen. Now this is not an exhaustive list of scriptures in Proverbs. It's just a small sampling. There's so much in there. Now there's some other things it tells us. It tells us about the things that God loves. Now, what are the things that God loves? Well, one is someone who's willing to allow the Lord to reprove them. Let's take a look at it. Proverbs 3.12. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves, as a father the son whom he delights. Now, reprove, we just heard about this in the end of my wife's teaching. Reprove, rebuke, correct. Now, if God is doing that to you lately, and he's just sort of correcting you and getting on your toes a little bit when pastor's preaching, he is just loving on you. Okay? Amen. He is he's doing that because he loves you. Right. And we need to want that. Right. Uh, God also loves someone who pursues righteousness. I think I got it up there. The way of the wicked is an abomination of the Lord, but he who loves him pursues righteousness. So if we pursue righteous living, God loves that. And he'll keep reproving, he'll keep rebuking. And we've got to say, that's okay. You know, when I was younger, I didn't like correction. Last thing I wanted to be told was how to do anything. I've learned since then, I'm married. <laughs> and I've learned how to take correction in the right way. My wife does such an amazing job of letting me know what she wants me to do. And she does a fabulous job of it. Anyway. Uh, God also loves an obedient heart. Babe, I'm not picking on you. I'm loving on you. <laughs> All right. God loves an obedient heart. We learned that from the first lesson. Someone who is willing to give freely of their substance to the Lord. 
Someone who's seeking to find wisdom. If you're looking to find wisdom, God's wisdom, God loves that. Now, the book of Proverbs, I'll just tell you, it's very personable to me. Proverbs 22 and 6 says, Train up a child the way that he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, this verse gives me a promise about my wayward daughter, Kehlani. Now, she was raised in this precious truth years ago. She received the Holy Ghost, and I baptized her when she was just six years old. She participated in Bible quizzing for a couple of years and attended a UPC school until they finally shut down the doors when she became a freshman, and she had started attending public school after that. Now, she may have fallen out of this precious truth for right now, but I have a promise from God. And I hold that request up to him daily in Amen. prayer, that someday she will come back in right relationship with him. Right. That is my promise. It's such a promise, and nobody should ever tell anybody their passwords. But I'm going to tell you, Proverbs 26 is part of my password. Not all of it. I'm not telling you all of my password. <laughs> but I guarantee you part of it is in there in my password every single day. Because I want to type it. I want to say it. I want to think it because I want it before my eyes constantly that God is going to do that someday. That is a promise, and I can stand and I can hold on to that promise. You'll hear it in me in prayer in the morning time when I'm praying. It's a promise. Now, sometimes you have to live through the experience of Bible scriptures before you can really understand it and talk about it effectively. Now, when I was dealing with COVID, you know, we've all had a mess with that crazy thing. Something happened to me. I became an insomnia. Now, that wasn't me before. I could just fall asleep, of, you know, no problem at all. Even while you might be talking to me, I could just fall asleep if I get comfortable in the chair. Uh, but I also have sleep apnea, and there's other reasons. But anyway, I was dealing with anxiety and irrational fear that I have never, ever had before in my life. And it was just robbing me of my sleep. I've never been anxious like that. And through the help of a pastor friend of mine, I learned about a couple of verses that I didn't even know existed in the book of Proverbs. And they became a nightly comfort to me. And I'll just share those here with you. It says, Proverbs 3.24 through 25, it says, When thou liest down, thou shalt not be afraid. Yea, thou shalt lie down, and thy sleep shall be sweet. <laughs> I didn't know that was there. I don't know how to explain what that did to me when I was dealing with that anxiety state I was in, and I couldn't sleep, and I was scared to sleep because of nightmares that I was having. And it says further on, it says, Be not afraid of sudden fear, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it cometh. Now, you have to understand, I'm an end-time prophecy guy. And an end-time prophecy guy reads some pretty crazy stuff on a regular basis, and you think nothing of it, you know? <laughs> oh, well, you know, Antichrist, take the mark of the beast, whatever. I'll save that for the end-time lesson in, in December. But anyway, you study that stuff, and you think nothing of it. But when you're having nightmares and you're in your weakest moment, the enemy likes to tramp on your feet and step all over you and remind you of just how fearful you are. I did not know that kind of fear that I was dealing with. But through the help of, of these scriptures, my wife who drugged me, 
<laughs> we grew closer during COVID, I'll just tell you. But it was quite the experience in the household. Uh, I was a little out of it. I was a lot out of it. But God kept me through it. Now, God has a way of bringing things back to our remembrance. Now, when I was going through that time where I couldn't sleep, I had to take everything. Take melatonin, take all these kinds of things to try to help me to sleep. And just yesterday, I found a reference to this verse, literally on a bottle in my bathroom. Check this out. <laughs> right there it is. On the bottle of melatonin, it says, your sweetest sleep yet. Now, I didn't know that at the time I was dealing with COVID, not at all. But there it is, right in front of me. And it was just powerful to know how important that was at the time. I didn't like my wife telling me, it's time to go to sleep. you got to go to bed. I, I, I did not like that. Not one bit. But that was exactly what I needed. I needed sleep. So I also did something else. I started playing my audio Bible. Uh, every night since I had COVID, my audio Bible starts playing in Psalms. And it goes through Proverbs. And it plays throughout the Bible as I sleep. And I sleep better than I ever have before, don't I, dear? Now, my wife has already mentioned that there are three things, three themes expressed over and over in the book of Proverbs. And we will talk about those briefly here. We'll touch on them anyway. Don't know how far we're going to get. But you're hearing my perspective on Proverbs. Now we're going to jump into some more meat and potatoes in Proverbs. Okay, and we're going to tackle a specific area. So slide 24 talks about your money, your morals, and your mouth. Okay, I'm not supposed to read slide 24. That's my information, not yours. Okay, now you could also say Proverbs addresses what you do, what you think, and what you say. Now, sometimes we don't like the Lord correcting us, but as I just mentioned, the correction of the Lord is Him loving us. Now, with the help of the Lord, we're going to try to cover one specific topic here in Proverbs. Now, this is going to be mostly a compilation of wisdom from the book of Proverbs, and it's also going to be some of the principles that I have learned from other wise counselors and even from some of my own experiences that I've applied in my own life. So I can say I at least have some experience in those areas. I haven't just acquired this knowledge, as we learned in Lesson 1, but I've applied it to my life. And in the book of Proverbs, that's called wisdom. Now, wisdom, we know, ultimately comes from, comes from God. And if we ask for it, he will give it to us liberally, as James told us. Tonight, we're going to try to talk to the best of our ability about this wonderful subject, money. Money. Now, tonight... The subject of money is very interesting because we live in a world that has a lot of money issues going on right now. Well, we're talking about inflation. We're talking about all kinds of craziness. I mean, my wife just said the other day eggs were, what, three something? Unbelievable. Used to be 69.99 cents, and now they're ridiculous. So, I know this is not a lesson on prophecy, but we are living in a world that is dealing with a lot of stress, and that stress comes from finances, comes from money. But we're to blame for it in our world because we're in a culture based on instant gratification, right? We don't have to wait for anything. We truly are a buy now, pay later culture. 
Now this mentality, it sets us up for many financial problems. Consumer debt in the United States is at an all-time high. The average person spends anywhere from $1.79 to $3 for every dollar they spend. They earn, sorry. So they're, earned, they're having to pay out this huge amount of money, much more than what they make, because they're paying it in interest. And I know this might not sound all that interesting, but Solomon had an awful lot to say about money. And that's the reason why we're going to address it. We know that people today owe more than they even make. They can't ever get ahead that way. Now Solomon gives us some great wisdom about this. Now if he were here right now, we know from the principles in the book of Proverbs that he would say, debt, don't ever, whatever you do, don't ever get into debt. And if you are in debt, get out of it right now. Now, let's take a look at this slide. In Proverbs 22, 7, he gives us another perspective. He says, the rich ruleth over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. Okay, he just made an interesting connection there that we need to pay some attention to. Because he would tell us that this debt thing is a bad deal. This putting up security for your neighbor, you know what that's called? It's called a loan. If you give a loan to somebody, you better expect to never get that money back. And if you can't afford to do that, don't do it. Right. That's what our mindset needs to be, because it might cause a problem with the relationship somewhere down the road. Debt is a trap. You and I know that. We've grown up a while. We've learned these things. But when we get into debt, in your notes, we actually end up losing our freedom to live the lives the way that we want to live them. That's what happens. Now, they don't tell us that when they offer us the credit card and it sounds so attractive at the time. But as long as we have debt, we're obligated to put forth way too much of our time and our energy to pay off that debt. We're going to be working all the time. We might have to work two or three jobs just to pay for the things that we wanted. And Solomon's trying to tell us that that is simply not wise. To take a little closer look at that scripture he gave us, let's see what he's really saying. We end up serving the person or the institution that we borrowed from. Now that's a big problem, isn't it? Am I in the right place? Okay, I'm jumped ahead, but that's okay. I won't backed up a bit. We serve the person or the institution we borrowed from. The credit card companies never tell you about that. They never say, put your arms out when you get a Visa card, do they? They're going to drag you everywhere when you, they own you. They literally own you. And they're laughing all the way to the bank because now they got you on compound interest and all this. They say that you can have freedom to buy whatever you want. Just buy it now, right? Six months, same as cash. 90 days, same as cash. 12 months, same as cash. But oh, if you don't pay. If you pay it one day late. <laughs> the compound interest will eat you alive. Now, you never see the word debt in a credit card company ad. Credit card ad, buying a car. Debt is just simply not something we talk about. But when you get a credit card, that's what you're getting. We get debt. Solomon calls it out clearly right here. 
Getting into debt is like putting handcuffs on. Now, we all know that no one gets out of debt on their own naturally, right? It doesn't, you don't just drift out of, oh, I'm in debt, I'm just going to drift out of it. No, that doesn't happen. It takes hard work, sacrifice, savings of your spending, and it mostly it takes an intentional, conscious decision to get out of debt. Now, it takes commitment, discipline, perseverance, and most of all, it takes character. It also takes delayed gratification. Now, anyone, that's the hard part, isn't it? Saying, I'm going to wait for this because we're just so much the, if I want it, I can have it, society. And we'll find out later that Solomon did allow himself to have everything he ever wanted. And in the end, he ended up miserable. And we'll talk about that later. Anybody can get into debt. It's drop-dead simple. But here we find out it takes a person of character to make a commitment to get out of debt. Now, the book of Proverbs is really practical in its teaching. And I know this is sounding like a practical money lesson. But there's also a lot of other teaching out there available, such as Dave Ramsey. And you're probably hearing that coming out of my mouth. It's another source where I've gained some financial wisdom, and I've applied it in my life, and it does make a difference. Mm -hmm. Dave Ramsey would tell you things like, start doing a little bit today if you want to go get out of debt. Plan ahead and cut back on your luxuries. Plan it. That's a big one, isn't it? Spend for your needs and <laughs> save up for your wants. We do have to eat. Maybe not that much, but we do have to eat, okay? Uh, we need to maximize our payments and minimize our purchases. we got to stop spending all the time. Now, we don't always have to have the latest and greatest, believe it or not. I know they come out with a new one of these every year, but it doesn't mean we got to have it. We can do without it. There are some people, and many people, that do. Paying off your payments, such as your mortgage, your car payment, it's pretty much common sense. If you pay it off early, you save a lot of money and interest, right? Uh, if we're organized and we keep good records, that's, that's really important, isn't it? we got to know what we owe and when is it due. We have to have facts about our finances. But the most important thing that we could possibly ever learn is what's the biblical thing? Because a lot of people, they say, I can't afford it. Uh, I can't afford my payments this month. Uh, I need some help here. Uh, and they don't pay their payments. And then it gets worse. And then they get a little late fee. And that late fee just grows and grows and it multiplies. And it's like unbelievable cancer. And it will eat you before you're done. The biblical thing is pay it. Pay your bills. Mm -hmm. Now, God will build some characters in us. Now, we might have to eat some ramen noodles while we're trying to pay the bills and pay for our wants and the things that we couldn't do without. But Solomon, he got some wisdom from his dad. He got it from God, but he also got some of it from his dad. When David was king and Solomon was running around the temple, he heard this. We heard David saying, The wicked borroweth and payeth not again, but the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. King David, his dad, said the wicked borrow and do not pay. we got to pay it back. If we make the debt, we owe it, we need to pay it. That is the biblical thing. So we've got to do that. If we're going to get out of debt, when's the right time to do it? 
right now, isn't it, right? Absolutely right now. We all probably have some debt that we would like to get rid of. Uh, if you want to know how to do that, ask Dave Ramsey, okay? We're going to focus on what Solomon has to say. Solomon introduces us to some interesting characters. We already learned about some interesting characters here in our first lesson. But now we're going to learn about some other people. Uh, we may not be able to get into too much of it, but we're going to learn about the diligent, and we're going to learn about the slacker, and we're going to learn about the slugger. Because Proverbs gives us some really clear definitions of what that means. So the first off is diligent. Who is diligent? So the diligent is a person who is simply a hard worker. Okay? Someone that is a hard worker. And if we go on to our notes here, the diligent, we've all heard it said, works smarter, what? Not harder. Not harder. But the diligent would say, works smarter and harder. Because he's a hard worker and he wants to get a lot accomplished, he wants to get a lot done. There are so many interesting characters in the book of Proverbs. Some of them we've already met. Some others we've yet to meet. Another, cup, another one I mentioned is the slacker. Now, I may not say that the word slacker, but we can figure out what it means. We find slacker and diligent in one verse in the Bible. In Proverbs 10 and 4, it says, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand. There it is. But the hand of the diligent maketh rich. So he becomes poor that is a slacker. Okay, I'm stretching it a little, all right, but you follow what I'm saying. Let me be blunt. If you are a slacker, you will have money problems, right? And you most likely will become poor. That's just as straight as it comes. Now, it's nice to know this. It's nice to know that that's in the Bible, and it gives us that information, that if I want to work, I want to eat, I have to go work. I have to be responsible for what I'm going to do. Now, Another character who's probably a close relative to the slacker in the book of Proverbs is known as the slugger. And whatever you do, don't be that guy. I've got a lot to say about the slugger, and I won't be able to get into too much of it here tonight. But Proverbs gives us some great wisdom about the things that God loves, the things that God hates, the people that he wants us to be. Whoever God wants us to be, that's who I want to be. I want what God wants, which is best for me. And if God cares about my money, guess what? I care about my money. If Solomon says, don't get into debt, don't give out personal loans, don't get yourself in over your head, he's speaking from a voice that has done that. He has done anything and everything under the sun, as we'll learn about in the book of Ecclesiastes. But he finds out that it just it wasn't all that. I could have everything. And when it was all said and done, there was nothing left. It was just meaningless. So I want what God wants for my life. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about. So next week, we will continue on in this process. We will learn more about the sluggard. We will learn how to not be a sluggard. And how to be the one that God wants us to be when it comes to our money. How we can give him honor, give him glory. Let's end in prayer here tonight. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the privilege, the opportunity to study your word. Lord, we want to do the things that you want us to do, Lord God. We want to meet the examples, Lord, that you've given us. 
Lord, we want to mold our lives, Lord, into your hand, Lord God. Help us to be the person you want us to be. Lord, let Proverbs get into us and into our hearts and into our mind and into our lives, God. Help us to apply your principles, for in them are the ways of life. We thank you for this time, this time to study your word, Lord God. Thank you for what Proverbs means to me. Help us, Lord, go with us. Bring us back next time. In Jesus' name, amen.